0: Welcome to Living Word Bible Church, a lovely
1: place for families. Jonah's anger at the Lord's compassion. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks, Nikki. There's, there's more of that going, Kate. I'll have some. <laughs> hey, free food and back there. John Petty Wars, he got the chance. Hey, good morning. Thanks, Nikki. Love you reading it. And thanks, uh, Yvonne. Good job. You, you got the job now, okay? You passed. Hey, we're back in Jonah. We're gonna we're gonna do this t- this week, what we did a few weeks back. We're gonna look at the exact same verses twice. Okay. Uh, and each time from a different perspective. Today we're going to start with Jonah, his perspective, how this looks for him. You may remember this from last week. Are you angry? No! I'm not angry! We do that, don't we? We live in denial so often that anger us, and that's kind of what's going on with Jonah. He is angry. He's mad with God. He's mad because of what God is putting him through. He's, he's, he just isn't prepared for it. He's crushing him. It's his worst nightmare. For Jonah, there's nothing, more, there's nothing more bad than to see the national enemy of your country being let off the hook for atrocities. that are unbelievable. Look, you put that in today's context. You've got to imagine... The countries and the most vile things being let off the hook. But Jonah is a prophet, and, and I think it's easy to forget this. This book's in the Bible, not by accident. It's in by divine ordination. God wanted it to be in there. It's written by divine sanction. Jonah didn't just think, "Oh, I'll write about this." In fact, who would write about themselves in this light? Okay, it's meant to be in there. He speaks for God, and so in. Jonah's anger, insolence. He's speaking for God. Otherwise, he wouldn't be in Scripture. And this isn't like some episodes in Scripture being set forth as uh, as a contrast. This is not how you conduct yourself. This isn't being put like that. So Jonah's speaking to us in the way he's responding to God here. He's saying something to us. Last week, we said that saying... Hey, God can take your frustration. Better to be honest with him than to bottle it up. But today I want to say, okay, we can be frank with God, we we can be upset with him, we can let it all out, wonder, get mad at him, do terrible things. But how does God respond to that? How does he respond to the insolence What's he going to do with this prophet that dares speak to God like this? And it's what we see next, and that's what, that's what I say. I want us to look at Jonah today. Here's our heading: "The God who stoops down and reaches out to rebels at the height of their folly." Think about headings; is they give away the sermon before I preached it, so you know where we're going. now, don't mean you can leave. Okay, this is where we're going. We're looking at the God who stoops down and reaches out to rebels at the height of their folly. Watch this. But Jonah was greatly displeased. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Oh Lord, this is, not what, is this not what I said to you whilst I was still at home, comfortable with my own people? Okay? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. This is why I disobeyed you. Okay? I know exactly what you're like. I know that you're gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, is a God who relents from sending calamity. So now, okay, now that I've been proven right, I want you to take my life. I don't want to live. Who wants to live with a God like you? Okay, kill me. I don't care. Here I am. Kill me. Okay? But the Lord replied. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? I want to say to you, they have to be amongst the most shocking words in all of the Bible. What am I talking about? What am I talking about? They have to be amongst the most shocking words in all of the Bible. What am I talking about? What, what words? Have a guess. You don't want to be wrong, do you? <laughs> I'm not going to embarrass you. Okay. It's verse four. Why do I say that? I am absolutely in shock by verse four. Have a look at it. Why is that shocking? It's jaw dropping stuff. Why? Anyone want to hazard a guess? Everyone's, everyone's mute this morning. You're afraid I'm going to jump on you, aren't you? Why is that shocking? Well, well, that's almost there, mate. Yeah, uh, kidding. Now you'll never say anything again, will you? You're almost there, Lee. It's shocking because why would God reason with this guy? Hello? God? And who does he think he is? It's shocking. It's shocking precisely because how is Jonah still alive? Why is God? Look, we're talking about God here. Look, I had an illustration. I won't mention the name of a despot from the Middle East. When one of his uh, what do you call those henchmen, the people who you know work with him? was at a table, failed him, in a meal. He was upset with him. You know what he did? Apparently, I read this, he went over to him with a fork and stabbed his eye. Because that's what you do if you're all-powerful. And people oppose you. I I tell you, it's shocking that after this, this onslaught from Jonah, that God... He's letting him breathe. More than that, look what he does. He, he actually enters into a dialogue with him. Hey, Jonah. What's making you so angry, mate? What God would do that? This, this, uh, it, it's, it's shocking beyond belief that, that Jonah could speak to Almighty God with such disrespect a lack of reverence, and still be alive. So, so God is speaking to him in spite of his insolence. The God that any other person knows, remember, remember what it's like when he came down to visit the people of Israel, when they came out of uh, Egypt, that before the mountain, and God comes to them? What happened? What did the mountains do? Let alone the people. What did the mountains do? Shook! Remember he says, if there's any goats in the mountain, what will happen to the goats? They'll die. And, yet, and, and he knows this, and yet he speaks to God like this. And God responds with generosity. And he's not the first person to speak to God like this. Jeremiah, look at this. This see what Jeremiah writes. Oh Lord, you deceived me. You're a deceiver! <laughs> Jeremiah. And lives. And lives. But look, it gets more shocking than this because if we're shocked enough that God would enter into dialogue with this man who deserves to be zapped, okay, look, look at the next verse. And you're going to have another guess here. And I want to do the nice to you. Okay. I only did it to Lee because he obviously deserves it. Okay. Verse five. Verse four the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? V- verse four, rather. And verse five tell me if you're not shocked. Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. Why is that shocking? You got You got to get the grace cells working here. Why is that? Why am I shocked? Why am I more shocked by verse five than I am by verse four? And I... well, he's still alive. Yeah, that was the first answer. You were listening to the first seminar like, Thanks, mate. Okay, we're after we're after for the second question. We want a new answer. Thank you, Yvonne. Good woman. Excuse me. You got it. Yeah, you can see what's happening here, can't you, Yvonne? God, is, God stoops down and actually takes the time to engage with him instead of swiping him off the planet like he should have done. And then Jonah, he walks out on God. Seriously. He walks out on God. Who would do that? You know, if you visit Queen Elizabeth, you can't do it now. I'm sure it's the same with Charles. If you visit Charles, you know when you leave his presence, you know how you leave? You don't even, you, you don't even turn your back to him. You better walking like this. Hope you don't trip over the corgi. Okay? Here's Jonah. He has the nerve to turn his back and walk out on God without so much as a word. I mean, it's a guy either brave. I don't think it's that. He is stupid. He is stupid. Look, and, and it's not as though, well, things were different. then. No, they weren't. Things were worse back then. Remember Esther in Xerxes? When, when, when Mordecai says to, her, says to her, look, you've got to go and plead with the king. You've got to do something, Esther. Everyone's going to die. And Esther's like, I'm not going to go. Are you crazy? Are you out of your mind, Mordecai? Have you taken leave of your senses? Don't you know what happens if you go to see the king? There it is. Esther 4. At the king's, all the king's officials and all the people know, okay, in all the royal provinces, that if a man or a woman approaches the inner court of the king, goes to the king, without actually being asked to come, there's only one law. What's the law? (laughs) In those days, you knew you didn't even dare approach a king, let alone rage at him and then turn your back on him and stamp out in anger at God. Who would dare to be angry at God? And so we begin to get a picture, don't we? Not Jonah, forget Jonah, he's a stinker. of God. We get get a picture of God. This is the God who breaks all conventions. He sets aside all protocols. Rather than lashing out, he invites Jonah into a (coughs) dialogue. Come, Jonah. Come, mate. Let's talk about it. This is the God, this is the point, this is the heading. This is the God who stoops down and reaches out to rebels at the height of their folly. God doesn't even take 10 minutes to go and calm himself down. If I don't move away from this man, I'm going to destroy him. He doesn't even do that. He just lets Jonah walk out on him. So Jonah went out and sat in a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter. Okay, pretty handy fellow. Okay, and he sat under his shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. What's he waiting for? Yes, he is. Here's what a commentator says. Okay, Jonah's hopes that God will still, in spite of what he said, will still destroy the city. In spite of the Ninevites' repentance, he goes to a hill east of the city to wait out for 40 days. He waits to see whether the repentance and God's mercy will hold sway. This is unbelievable. Can you, can you see what he's doing? You know, for Jonah, he has 40 days of what? It begins with H, ends with E. As has O and P in the middle. He's got 40 days of hope. There's 40 days. He may still do it. He may still give them what they deserve. He might still lash out. He's waiting for the firework display at the end of the evening. He wants the place lit up, torched. Like, well, Sodom, that's, that's what I'm looking for. Like, Sodom, come on. This is going to be the shovel shows. He's got... Forty days, maybe God will change His mind. Maybe if he gets angry enough, makes his position strong enough, righteous enough, letters to God refuses to go home. I'm not going, God, until they're destroyed. He's, got, he's waiting after all of this with this tiny sliver of hope. Perhaps God will change His mind, or perhaps there is no way those Ninevites are going to keep this up. Listen, there's no way. We know what they're like. And so he waits in hope. Verse 6, the Lord, verse six, the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah. For, for he, of, of Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. It gets bizarre, doesn't it? <laughs> this is, really, this is one of the bizarrest things. Not the fish, that's, that's nothing compared to this. this is, the, the bizarre thing about Jonah is not the fish swallowing a man, wow, that kind of stuff happens, and not every day it happens, okay? This is bizarre. That God is actually, instead of locking this guy up in his room, not feeding him breakfast next day, he goes, oh, poor Jonah's heart. But the poor fellow's got, you know, got a ball patch on his head, you know, and he's 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 feeling it's on there. Yeah, prophets have ball patches, you know. He's a son of spirituality, especially if it's about this big. Seriously, seriously, I don't why really I bother. Okay, and, and God makes a plant for him—a supernatural thing. This thing just zoops soops up in it in no time, covers this guy. This poor Jonah, you see, because his heart. Why, what does God do that? What's he doing? He's doing something. He's teaching. Yeah, he's teaching you something. And we're going to see one. Yeah, Nicky is. He's doing something. This is an object lesson. You've done that at school, haven't you? You know, uh, the kids are doing one today. If, if I'm boring you, you can make paper mache object lessons outside. Okay, look the door seat because I, I can see half of them getting ready to run. Look. He's actually doing something here. He's teaching him. This is an object lesson. This is a lesson. This isn't just about Jonah's ease. It gives him ease. But God is actually trying to get somewhere with this man. He's reasoning with him. He's stooped down to his level. He's trying to take him somewhere. He's doing it gently. Unbelievably. So, lovingly. I can't believe it. Kindly. Who would do that? This God does it. Verse 7, but at the dawn the next day, just when Jonah got used to this, you know, isn't God good? Say whatever you want to him. He just keeps coming back to you. I think he's pretty desperate, this God. Okay, just when Jonah was thinking that, verse 7, but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm. Okay, and this is obviously quite a substantial worm. (laughs) Okay which chewed the vine so that it withered. Now this is more like God. I like this one. Yeah, he's going to get it, isn't he? Okay, maybe the worm will chew him next. Okay, and so so Jonah's ease is gone. And so the object lesson is beginning to kick in. We're going to see now what God is doing. Verse 8, when the sun rose, God provided, and this is when he gets, this is, this is the God I like. God provided. What does he provide? It's brilliant. It's exactly what he deserves. A scorching wind. Okay? This is a part of the country that's exactly like Adelaide in the summer. What's it like here in the summer? Forty degrees, hip hip hooray. Yeah. Nobody nobody likes the heat here, Kate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it would be nice. buddy. look. So this is the region, and the, and the and the climate of this environment is very similar to Adelaide in the summer. Okay, this is we're talking forty-three degrees, forty-five degrees centigrade. Okay, okay, and and just to just to make it a bit more uncomfortable for Jonah, as well as the sun, God sends. Okay, we get these northern winds, don't we? That make us warm. God send one today. Okay, um, and and. Because God sends not only the sun at 40 degrees, he sends a scorching wind. This thing is, it's like having a blow dryer. Not a blow dryer, it's like having a hot day, and you know those torches that strip paint? thats hot guns? It's like having one of those in the back of your head. But about time too, okay? That's what I'm thinking when I'm reading this world. About time too, God. Now zap him. That's what I was. I think he should be destroyed. This guy, okay? Why? So why? 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 Why has God done all this? He lets. He lets him speak to him the way he has. He lets him walk out on him. It's kind to him. He, He gives him a plant, but then that's Jacqueline Hyde, isn't it? But then, one minute he's like, "I love you, Jonah." And the next minute, he's like stabbing him in the back. When he's not looking, he destroys his plant. And then, and then to add insult to injury, he not only lets the sun out of the shade, but it gives him, for added measure, a scorching wind. What's it teaching him? What's it teaching him? Oh, look, at, look at Jonah, first of all. What is this? We know what he's like. You know what's coming. How do you think Jonah responds to this? Oh, damn it. I knew I should have brought the sunscreen. How do you think Jonah responds to this? Angry. He snaps, mate. If If he was angry before, and he was angry before, he is mad. Now, listen to him, listen to him. He goes, and Jonah wanted to die. He would be better if I was dead. Yeah, I'm talking to you. It would be better if I was dead. That's so what he's doing. And so why? Verse 9. But God said to Jonah, still determined to finish his object lesson, God speaks to him. And we can only imagine it's gentle. It's, it's a contrast to everything Jonah is doing to God. Hey, Jonah. Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? Remember, this is, a, this is a repeated question, isn't it? What was it the first time? Do you have a right to be angry about the Ninevites? And Jonah's so thick. you know sometimes some of the most intelligent people in the world are the most thickest people in the world? Okay, seriously. He can't get the most obvious lesson. He can understand complex theology, preach doctrine that will blow your head. Hey, Jonah knew God. You weren't a prophet of God and you didn't know some good stuff. This is a clever chap. And he's so thick, isn't he? Because, look, he still doesn't get it. He goes, so God gives him the question a second time, readdressed. He has to go through all the trouble of making a plant and destroying it. He does all this because Jonah's so thick, okay? And so the second time, okay, Jonah, you don't get the Nineveh voice. You're so stupid, okay? Maybe you'll get this. Do you have any right, forget Nineveh, do you have any right to be angry about them? And now Jonah will talk, you see. because see, the first time Jonah ignored God, he wasn't ready to talk. He wasn't prepared to talk. And this is the wonder of God. God, it's a bit like someone walks over somebody, you know, because they refuse to answer the question, and this guy who's got no shame runs after him. Come back, come back, please, please. Can I let me ask you again? That's what he's doing. That's what God's doing, isn't he? He runs after him the second time. Okay, Jonah, look, let me put it this way to you. Have you got any right to be angry about this vine? Okay. I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I think that's what he's doing, isn't he? Yeah. Hello. Sun. Wind. Of course I'm angry. Okay. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And finally, the pen is dropping. Can you see that? God is, it's an object lesson. It's, and I think what God is doing, he's kind of letting him step, step into his shoes and see things from his worldview. I think that's what God is trying to do. Say, okay, Jonah, hey, we'll swap roles. You be God for a day. Okay? Okay, i made the Bible, but then you made it. Okay, you be God for a day because I want you to see, Jonah, you only had that plant for a day. You've grown akin to it. You've found an interest in it. I think Jonah actually wasn't just getting sun shade from the plant. I think he was a horticulturist. And if you give a plant to a horticulturist, well, what are they like? Oh, isn't this beautiful? Look at it. Look at its leaves. Look at the, 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 look, at the, look at the way they just sprout out. And the way it perfectly covers the sun. I think Jonah had grown interested in the plant. Maybe, maybe you grew things back at home, and you could have really appreciate this. And he's saying to Jonah, "Look, look, Jonah, you've you've really grown accustomed to this plant. It's not only providing you with a source of shelter, but, but you actually you like plants. <coughs> and when you left, when when you leave here, I bet Jonah, you know what he's probably thinking: If I dig this out and put it in a bucket." I could probably get it back to Israel. I, that'd be lovely on my porch. Okay? And, and, and so Jonah has grown accustomed to this thing. I think he cares about the plant. And I think God is saying to him, Look, Jonah, it's only been a day, and you actually cared about this little plant, and the last thing you want to see. Is any injury come to it? I think you're mad at me now, Jonah. Not because you're hot. I think you're mad at me because you lost your plant. And so, Jonah, verse 11, Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Shouldn't I care about them? And you can see the lesson there, can't you? As deeply involved you are with this plant, Jonah, I'm involved with these people. There's 120,000 of them. I made them. I created them. I created them. Go and read David. I created their inmost beings. Was there in the mother's womb? I saw them before any other. I saw them. I know their circumstances. I watch them eat meals. I watch them having their children. How they care for them. I watch them taking care of grandparents. I watch them build lives. And I think that they're living in my world. And Jonah, I actually care about all these people. I know they're not the best people on the planet, but hey, if we keep it score, neither are you, Jonah. I care. And contrary to what you think, John, I know they're bad. Hey, hey, John, I'm not denying they're not bad. But they're not as bad as you're making out they are, John. You have my law. You know what I expect of people. These people have no idea. They have no moral compass other than... One natural one, obviously they know they the should not murder, but they don't have the moral compass to tell them there's a God to, which, to whom they're accountable to, there's a God whose law they are di- directly directly disobeying, a God who they stand before and give an answer to, a God before whom they're accountable to. Johnny, they don't know that. And that's exactly why when you told them about me, when they knew, when they understood that we are accountable for how we live, that they repented in dusk, in sackcloth and ashes. And so, no, Jonah, I can't just write them out. I can't just destroy them. I can't just hand them their due. Because I'm also attached to them. In a way that you became attached to that plot. And let alone the animals. I think it's lovely that's in there. I was thinking about doing a sermon on that. I may still do. Just about animals. And, and the place in God's kingdom for them. The earthly kingdom. So God stoops down and reaches out to rebels at the height of their folly. That's what this is all about. It's an, it's an astonishing Old Testament picture. Really. It goes... Way beyond anything you expect in the Old Testament, because in the Old Testament, the general policy was that the Israelites were to do what to their enemies? Destroy them! Hate them! And so you're beginning to see this shift where God is going from where he began, building blocks of human society, moving towards a society that looks more and more like God. And now they're not to hate their enemies. This is preparing you for Jesus, isn't it? There's going to be a silence for hundreds of years soon where there's no prophet speaking because when the next one speaks, he's going to introduce the quintessential missionary, the quintessential Jonah. And so so in Jonah, the Israelites are given this bizarre picture that this God actually loves bad people. Loves wicked people. He loves Gentiles. He cares about Gentiles. He actually cares about saving their lives. They seem to matter to him. It's a revolutionary picture. You can see how God is speaking through Jonah. You can see why he's a prophet. He's a prophet by this experience. He's communicating that the God of the Bible is a God of mission who cares for people who's committed to them, who will go out of his way to rescue souls. The God who stoops down and reaches out to rebels at the height of their folly. We'll look at more of the people next time. For now, back to what God is doing with Jonah. But I'm going to move from Jonah to us. Because, hey, we might not be prophets or the son of a prophet. Hey, but we like Jonah, aren't we? What lengths will God go to win back a rebel, a class A sinner, an insolent servant? How far would God go? When we walk out on him, how far will God go when you say to him, I'm off God," How far will God go? Thanks, mate. That is the answer. <laughs> he will go as far as he needs to to win us back. If it means that he has to hold back his righteous indignation to win us, God will do that. If it means he has to bend over backwards to to get an opportunity to, to speak to us, he will do that. If it means he has to wait patiently, years, decades. How much? We can backslide for decades, can't we? God will wait for you. If it means... If it means he has to move heaven and earth to reach out to you, he will do that, friends. Christian, God is tied to you in a way that is far, far more deep, deeper than how John was tied to that plant or even the Nineveh. God is tied to you in a way where he will never... What does he say? Hebrews 13, quote in the Old Testament. Never... Will I forsake you? Never will I leave you. And we think about a verse done we as, oh, I really need God's presence, and, and, and God's never going to leave me. He's going to be with me. And it does mean that. But I want you to think of it in this way. It means that when you're trying to run from him, when you've had enough of God, when you're repelling against him, God is saying to you, I'm never going to walk out on you. You can do what you like, say what you like, be what you like, sin what you like. I am never going to walk out on you. I will never leave you. Never. I'm always going to be here. Like a child kicking at our shins, wanting to run away from us. And we know there's a precipice ahead of him. No matter what he says, what will we do? No matter what he says, would you let your child go? Of course you wouldn't, would you? Knowing that they're going to fall. God will never let you go. He will never. And I think that's what we are been told here. Look, Isaiah 18. This is beautiful. God says about sinners, come. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Because though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. This is the God who condescends, stoops down, identifies with us, speaks our language, is patient with us, suffers our insolence, and reasons with us. Wow. That is mind-blowing stuff. And you know, think about, and I say this, but I said this, you know, Friday, Friday, recently, you know, I have wound up silly by religions particularly, that claim thing about deity for which there's no substance. This is how God is with the Ninevites. Let me show you some substance. I want to show you Jesus and what he's like. He goes up, he's walking along, right? And there's this guy in a tree and that was an embarrassing thing for a man to do in that age. This guy's got no shame, okay? But he's a class A rebel. What does he do, Zacchaeus, for a living? No yeah. It sounds like a good job, doesn't it? In, in Australia, pretty reput- a reputable job to have. Collect taxes for the government. You know, the civil servant, I'm sure he's, it's. Back then, he was a traitor to his people. He's a steal from them. You know, the line is on pocket. This guys are terrible. And what does Jesus do when he comes to the tree and sees Zacchaeus? Pew, falls to the dead, falls to the ground, dead. And all the Israelites are going, hooray! He doesn't. You know what he says? Come here, mate. Yeah, let me take you for dinner. You're cooking, but let me take you for dinner. Okay? And and what does he do with him? He just shows him a bit of generosity. Sits with him, has a meal. Do you know, I'm absolutely certain, I'm absolutely certain, Jesus never once said a word about Zacchaeus', because of this, sin. Seriously. I guarantee you, I will stake my life on it. Jesus never once mentioned his sin to him. That's not to say we don't preach repentance from sin. But Jesus, just by the generosity and grace and love, he showed to Zacchaeus. What, What does Romans say? What do you do to your enemies? And what happens to them as a consequence of it? What do you do to your enemies, and what happens to them as a consequence of it? You love them, and thereby you coals on their heads. It burns! How do you, what do you think was happening every second Jesus was in his house to Zacchaeus? Yeah, he was feeling it. i betrayed this God and his people and here he is eating in my house. That was the most powerful sermon Jesus got to preach that day. he just have a meal with a man. There's more than one way to skin a cat, mate. Seriously. I'm not do the time. A couple of minutes. Let me, let me. The prodigal son. Do you know that has to be probably the most... It's my favourite word today, isn't it? The most astonishing parable in all of the Bible. Why do I say that? Because here it is. This guy's a rebel. You know what this guy did? You can understand what Jesus is saying here. This prodigal son goes to his father. Okay, you can understand if I said that to Brenton. That would be in context. It will make absolute sense. be a legitimate thing to say. I hate you! I wish you were... It was exactly what he says to him. I wish, Dad, you were dead. Making me live in this mess. I smell a flipping poo every day, all day long. I wish you were dead. That's what he says to him. That's what Jesus is saying here. And what does his father do? Not only does he give him his money, what does he do for for the next 10 years? This is the God who stoops down and waits for sinners to come home. And Peter, I'll really quick. Goodness sake. Not once, not twice. How many times? How many times did he deny Jesus? And and same again. Jesus never preached a sermon to Peter to bring him to conviction. What did he do with him? He just looked him in the eye, and Peter heard the most powerful sermon he'd ever heard. Broke down and wept. And then later, when he comes for him, it's beautiful. It's beautiful how Jesus puts his arm around him and says, hey, "Come here, Peter. I want you to feed my sheep. You're going to be the leading pastor of my church, the most significant person in history to date." Let's sort this mess mess out. That's what he does with him with that breakfast. He cooks him breakfast, okay, and then talks to him and re-enlists him in his service, and he deals with him gently. And the point is simply this, Christian, is that Jesus is the God who stoops down and reaches out to rebels at the heights of their folly. You know those words, and and we think Jesus is talking about rest. He's not talking about rest. Come to me, all who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Take it upon you. That's not talking about rest. What's he talking about? Salvation. A means of salvation. Partly that has been more yet. works. He's talking about law. He's saying, these Pharisees have burdened you to death about this law and that law and what you have to do and what you have to wear and how you have to say it and how you have to look and how many times you have to wash. People say to ask me how many times I, I wash. I goes, it's not in the law, okay? That's why I keep a distance between me and my congregation. Okay, look, Jesus' point is, hey, you've been beaten up your whole life about what you think I demand that you do to be in relationship with you. Come to me. Come. Let me show you what I'm really like. I just want to love you. And it's by that loving that Jesus does that he wins us to live in like him. You see, there's two ways it's going to go. You can either beat somebody into obeying you. This is a terrible, this is a terrible illustration but C.S. Lewis uses it. Okay, so... You can get what you want of a woman by force and be jailed for it, okay? Or you can get the same thing in a loving relationship, okay? You can get someone to obey God's law by beating them to death and and scaring the wits out of them, okay? Okay? or you can get them to obey your law by winning them to it. And that's what Jesus does with the people. That's why he was a magnet. That's why they all gathered around him. Thousands and thousands gathered around him. The worst people on the planet gathered around Jesus. You know why? Because even though they were bad, he didn't rub their nose in it. He wasn't telling them every five minutes, you're a terrible sinner. Hell, brimstone, condemned. I thought he was going to do that with a woman caught in adultery. And now we're going to watch Jesus burn somebody. And he just says, hey, I don't condemn you. This is the God, friends, that you will fail. Whether by just shouting your mouth off at him, walking out on him, or doing a class A sin, you will fail, you have failed, and you're going to fail. But you know how he responds to you? takes you out for dinner sits you down throws in a little object lesson maybe and wins you to loving him following him becoming holy and reflecting him he's the God who stoops down and reaches out to rebels at the height of our folly To make us more like him. So, hey, let me tell you. Get back home. Go home. If you're in the distant country, go home. (laughs) He's waiting for you. He doesn't care what you said to him when you walked out on him. Okay? He's waiting for you. He's been waiting for you the minute you walked out on him. And when you get back, he's gonna kill the fatted calf. He's going to throw a celebration. And he doesn't want to hear about what you've been up to. Because he paid for it when you he he were away. He paid for it. You're not in debt. You don't owe him a thing. And that's why. God suffered the insolence of this man of God because as much as God was committed to the Ninevites, God was committed to John. The God who stoops down, reaches out to rebels at the height of their folly. What of God. Amen. We'll sing our last song. It's, 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 it's Living Word Bible Church, teaching the Bible verse by verse.